If you are here with us for the first time, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, We are a church that uh, believes the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. We love the Word of God. It drives everything that we do. So we're going to be ending Ephesians chapter 1. And it's hard to say that we're ending on a high note because this entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 1 has felt like one big, incredibly incredible high note. But I am going to say it because uh, at the end of chapter 1, Paul shows us the greatness of Jesus. Y'all, today is all about the greatness and power of Jesus. Paul is praying that we wouldn't just intellectually know it, but our hearts would be transformed by it and that we would truly see it. You know, there are a lot of things that we'll look at today. Our text is really rich with a bunch of different ways, with, with truth, with a bunch of different ways how we can apply it to our life. But I want to say this. If, we're, if, if the truth that we're looking at today, for me personally, I would say is one of the greatest truths that have gotten me just personally through trial and hardship. And today's not about trial and hardship. It's not about overcoming hardship. Today is about seeing, uh, truly seeing and knowing the greatness of Jesus in a way that changes our life. It's about directing our eyes towards Jesus over everything else. But before we get there, let me lay some of the foundation for a few minutes because we're dropping uh, into our text right in the middle of a sentence. It's kind of like walking into the middle of a movie and trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, so let me try to get you up to speed uh, real quick. So last week we started in verse 15 of chapter 1, showing Paul move from praise to prayer, showing us the, all that, pow- that Paul was praying for, for these churches at Ephesus. And in verses 15 to 19, last week, we saw Paul pray a prayer of thanksgiving, praying for a greater knowledge of God, for a greater understanding of the gospel. So Paul was praying that we wouldn't just know about God intellectually with our minds, but that it would really get down deep into our hearts, that we would truly see it. So Paul was praying that these churches would move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And in turn, we saw uh, that, was, that was our prayer. And this is our prayer for today also. That the truths we, that we know about God would lead us to then worship God. Like we said today, uh, today is much of a continuation of last week. And because the verses that we're focusing on this week build off of last week, we're going to read 15 all the way to 23, but really focus in on verses 20 to 23, just a few verses. So again, if last week was part one, this week is part two of Paul's prayer. Let's look starting in verse 15. We read this last week, but I want to read it again. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. This is what we're going to pick up today, starting in verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So last week, as we said last week, it was all about prayer. And at the tail end of this prayer, we just saw in verses 20-23, uh, we see Paul make a really big deal about Jesus. And so Paul ends his prayer exalting Jesus, which is why I said Ephesians 1. It ends on a high note. So every time uh, you think Paul can't go any higher with his words and prayer and praise, he just takes it a step further and he raises the bar. But something I want to point out specifically for today as we continue to, to lay the foundation and get us up to speed is how our text in verse 20 to 23 specifically builds off of verse 19. 
You know, in verse 18, we saw that Paul was praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that their eyes, uh, that their eyes would see God, the, the eyes of their hearts would see God, that we wouldn't just know God intellectually, but the eyes of our hearts would see God in an intimate and life-changing way, that we would know God in our, in our hearts, but would move down uh, in our heads and also move down to our hearts and worship the Lord. And everything that followed that was what Paul was praying to that end. That we would truly see God and, and know God, uh, the, the hope that we have, the inheritance. We also saw, saw the, uh, God's immeasurable power. But look at verse 19 again as Paul is praying uh, that we would truly see this. Paul says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? And so Paul is praying that they would have eyes to see the immeasurable, pa- immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And so Paul is praying that we would see and know God's power and not according to our mental understanding or how we feel or how life seems to be going. No, Paul is praying that we would know the greatness of God's power that can't be measured, that is given to us. He's praying that he would, we would know this power not according to us, but rather according to the working of his great might. And so just follow me here. So Paul is praying that we, when we, that we would know the power God has given to us according to God's great might and not our great might. And let's just think about this for a second. Because just think how often do we measure God's power in our life according to the state of our life? Or what we see God do in our life. Like, God, let me see your immeasurable power uh, and give a really big bonus check because daddy needs a new car, right? Or God, let me see your great power. I'd really like my life to be easier right now. And maybe we wouldn't say those exact things, maybe, or in this way, uh, but I think we can agree that we often measure God's power by what we see and experience in the physical world. Like we could go on and on about wanting to see God's power displayed by the requests we make to God, and please hear me on what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't pray for better life situations. I'm not saying we don't pray for provision or some sort of breakthrough in our life. No, we absolutely do and we should. God tells us to bring all things to him. We make our request to the Lord. He loves to hear us pray. And yes, he loves to give us good gifts. Jesus in Matthew 7, 11 says, our father in heaven loves to give good gifts to those who ask. And so at New City, we pray and we ask and we pray and we pray and we pray without ceasing. We bring all of our requests to the Lord. And yes, God shows his power through answered prayer But what we're going to see Paul show us is that even an unanswered prayer that doesn't go how we'd like it to go, we'll see that the knowledge of God's power, having the eyes to see this power and know it, is not according to what he does or what he does not do. Our experience and knowledge of God's power, having the eyes to see it, is not based on how he answers our prayers. Knowing God's power at a heart level is not dependent on witnessing a miracle, It's not dependent on having special revelation or exercising special gifts, which, yes, can certainly show God's power. But what Paul is showing us today is that seeing the power of God with our hearts and truly knowing it, it comes from knowing Jesus. It comes from knowing the power of the resurrection. If we want to know more of God's power, we look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one, as we'll see today, he's the one that holds the power in his hands. Yes, we pray for miracles. We pray and pray and we pray for God to move. But knowing and experiencing, having the eyes of our hearts to know the power of God, is not dependent on God answering prayers, but rather it comes from looking deeper into the gospel. 
It comes from seeing the power of Jesus that was displayed at the cross and the resurrection. And so last week, Paul was praying that we would see and know God, and then he ended with power in verse 19. And this week, he expands more on uh, how we see that power. And at least for me, it's not what we would think. You know, Paul doesn't say, hey, you can see and truly know God's power by looking at creation or miracles, which would be what I would tend to think. But that's not what Paul says. He says, no, we see God's power by looking at the greatness of Jesus. It comes from seeing our main idea that Jesus is over all things. And so if we want to see God's power, we look to Jesus and all that Jesus has and all that Jesus is over and all that, and he's in us and how we see how he works. So if we want our eye, the eyes of our hearts to see the power of God, we look to power himself. We look to Jesus. And this is such good news because if we are in Christ, if we're following Jesus and he and Christ is in us through the Spirit, then the one that we are in, if we are in Christ, he's over everything. He holds it all. He sees it all. He's over all. And why? Like how is this true? We'll see today because of the cross and the resurrection. Also, I want us to just take a step back here for a second. As we just think about the grandness of Jesus, and I want you to just imagine with me just being inside the, the tallest building in the world, which right now is in Dubai. It's about 100, it's 160 floors tall. It's like a city inside of a building. It holds anywhere but about 10,000 people at any given time. Like there's a hotel, a spa, a bunch of apartments, pool, like multiple pools, gyms. It's the equivalent of nine football fields straight up into the air. Like it's just massive. And imagine buying your ticket and going up one of the world's fastest elevators that goes 22 miles an hour straight up into the air, it's faster than a floor per second, and then getting to the top, standing out there just in awe of how high you are, just looking out over, this, over the city at all the other buildings, like you can't even see cars or people because of how high you are over the city. And maybe, you're thinking to yourself, maybe you'll be thinking to yourself, I'm in the tallest building in the world, kind of feeling like you're physically on top of the world. And then your buddy who's with you just totally ruins the moment and says, you know, Mount Everest is actually higher than this. That's actually the highest peak in the world. In fact, in fact Mount Everest is 10 times taller than this building. It's not nine football fields. It's 900 football fields up into the air. And he says, maybe we should fly to Nepal, go up to the helicopter, fly up to the top of Mount Everest because we're not hiking up there. And just go up to the top of that mountain and chow down on some Nepalese food and have some fresh-squeezed juice. Yes, I looked at the menu. I mean, just wouldn't that be fun? And then you look back and say, hey, I got a better idea. What if we just got on a rocket ship and just went to the moon? And you just kind of keep one-upping each other. Well, Paul today, he steps in and says, hey, guess what? Jesus holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand. Everything we see in creation, God made it with his breath. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm giving all of this to you. And Jesus sees it all. He knows it all. He holds it all in, his, all in the palm of his hand. And the amazement we can see in the world, it's like a drop of water in the ocean of God's majesty. You see, this is the vastness of Jesus that Paul is trying to express. And then Paul also tells us in our text that we, the church, the people of God, we are in Christ. And he's also over us and in us. And the one that holds all the power of creation at his fingertips has been specifically commissioned to watch over his people that he calls the church. And so how do we see God's power? How do we truly know God's power? We look to power himself. We look to Jesus and everything that he has. Just think about this. 
whatever power we can see through creation, it's simply just a reflection of the power that is infinitely greater in Jesus. And so when we, like when we look at the book of Genesis, for example, we see the, that people are the apex of God's creation. God created things like uh, Mount Everest and said that's good, but then he, he created people and he said that's very good. And so then we have to ask, well, who is the apex of humanity? Well, and that's Jesus. And in our text today, Paul shows us four different ways to see God's power and greatness through Jesus. Again, today it's all about the greatness of Jesus. We're going to see, number one, Jesus' power over death. Jesus' power to reign as king. Jesus' power over rulers and authorities. And number four, Jesus' power over the church. Again, today we're exalting Jesus, seeing his power and vastness. And for each, each of us here today, this is incredibly comforting. Because knowing that Jesus is on our side and has authority and power over all things, it allows us to find peace. Because when we start to panic or worry or find ourselves fearful about really anything, the truths that we'll see today allow us to find rest. In many ways, it allows us to say, okay, God, I'm not over everything. You are. You're in charge. I'm not. And I can rest and I can go to sleep at night even though I don't understand anything that's going on around me. Well, if one of the most repeated commands in Scripture is to fear not, is to not be afraid, afraid, these are the truths that will then fuel that obedience. If God calls us and commands us over and over again to rejoice and to praise the Lord in all circumstances, to be happy in the Lord, what, are we seeing, what we're seeing today is what will fuel that. So when we're lonely or down or sad and we stop and meditate on these truths today and not just intellectually know them, but that the eyes of our hearts would see them, and believe them as true. We can rejoice, we can praise the Lord, we can be happy in the Lord when everything around us seems to be crumbling. Because although we may not have a clue of what to do or where to go next in certain parts of our life, guess what? God does. He sees it, he knows it, and he will lead us down the path to find rest in the Lord, to find true joy among hard circumstances. Again, if I can think about the two greatest the two single greatest truths that have gotten me through some of the hardest seasons of my, my life is that number one, God is good in all things and that God is sovereign. He's over everything. He's got it all in his hands, which is what we're seeing today. Y'all, we need these truths. We need our hearts to truly see them. Let's look at verses 19 and 20 again, but really focus on verse 20. Paul says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So what we see here is that the immeasurable greatness of God's power to those who believe in Jesus is based on, it's seen in accordance to Jesus being raised from the dead. So if we want to understand God's power, what do we do? Well, we look back to the resurrection. We look back to Jesus uh, going to the cross, dying, defeated sin and death, and then being raised from the dead. So God's power was put on display for us to deeply understand it through the resurrection, showing us, number one, Jesus' power over death. So in the Old Testament specifically, when God's people were trying to remember God's power, they looked back to God's work in creation, seeing things like God parting the Red Sea and the Jordan River, or God on Mount Sinai and providing manna from heaven. But us today, yes, we also look back to those, but even more so, we look back to the resurrection. We look back to Jesus defeating death. Verse 20 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Showing us that God's power was put on display when he raised Jesus from the dead. And y'all, we talk about the resurrection often. We celebrate Easter because of the resurrection. 
The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is what makes Christianity real and true. And so if you're looking for a way to dismantle Christianity and try to prove its insignificance, let me just give you a head start. Like this is where you begin. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we'd all be, be believing a total lie. We'd still be guilty of our sins because all of Christianity, it hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. There are a lot of things that Christians can disagree on and still worship beside each other and call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, but this is not one of them. If someone denies the resurrection, they're not a Christian, just plain and simple. And what Paul is saying here is that the immeasurable greatness of God's power, it's shown at the resurrection. And it's not only because Jesus came back to life and came out of the grave, which yes, absolutely displayed his power, but it's also because of everything that follows it. I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to come out of the grave, for his heart to stop, and then start back again for uh, three days later, walk out of the tomb. But it's entirely more significant for him to come out of the grave and then totally alter life and eternity for everyone that believes it. And for those that trust in Jesus, we no longer have to fear death. Because after we die, we spend eternity with God in heaven. And if you're not a Christian, this is just one of many compelling reasons to give, you life, uh, give your life to Jesus. You no longer have to fear death. Because, but guess what? It doesn't stop there. The reason the resurrection is so good, showing us that Jesus defeated death, is because it tells us that Jesus is alive. He's with us today. He's watching over us. He's with us. And not just that, but through the resurrection power of Jesus, we, we become God's children. We're forgiven. We're seen as pure and holy. The hope of the resurrection, knowing that God is alive, is what gives us one more ounce of hope to keep marching and to keep moving when you're tired and just ready to throw in the towel on something that maybe God has called you to because of the truth that God is with us in the fight. Jesus' resurrection power is displayed when we're lying in bed, beat down in tears, and your friend at just the right time says, I love you, I'm praying for you, you're not alone. The power of the Spirit is with you. That's the power of God at work. When we come in here and week after week and sing of the greatness of God and look to God's word and preach it and pray it and encourage one another and somehow in some way you're encouraged or challenged or moved to keep enduring in the race that God has given, uh, given you and set before you, that's, that's the resurrection power of God at work because it helps us to see it and know it in a real way. And yet when maybe when we're struggling to see all of this, you know what we can understand? We can know that Jesus went to the cross and died and then three days later he rose from the grave. When we struggle to understand everything else, we look back to the resurrection. And we can say and we believe with confidence that we may not understand everything that's happening right now, but I know this to be true. Jesus rose from the dead and he's still with me today. I may be in a pit of despair, but at least I know my God is with me because he rose from the dead. And because of that, our hearts can find rest and peace. Our hearts can smile. And we can draw near to God in the chaos of our life, finding deep intimacy with our God who loves us. So number one, we see Jesus' power over death. But then in verse 20, Paul continues on because he doesn't stop with the resurrection. Look at verse 20 again. Paul says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Jesus did not just overcome death, but he then went to go sit next to God in heaven. And what we need to understand here is that being seated at the right hand, as it says, it was like a seat of honor and privilege. It shows favor and victory and power. And Paul says that Jesus is not just alive, but he's also given power and privilege and favor with God. 
We could say that Jesus is not just living, but he's also reigning. He's not just alive, but he's our living, reigning king. Seeing number two, Jesus' power to reign as king. Showing us the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus paved the way for Jesus to be king. In New City, this is one of those truths that we can intellectually know and say, yeah, 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 I know that Jesus is king. I know that. But let's not forget what Paul is praying here. He's not praying that our minds would know it, but that our hearts would see it and believe it and be changed by it. It would go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Again, it's one thing to say Jesus is king, but it's an entirely different thing for our hearts to see it and find peace in it. Whether we want to admit it or not, like we all struggle in various ways throughout our days by dethroning Jesus as king and then making ourselves king, just in small, little, everyday moments. Like maybe when we're moved to worry or fear or angst, maybe about how something may turn out. In that moment, we may intellectually know that Jesus is king, but our hearts don't see it. Because what our hearts do see and believe in that moment is that God, uh, maybe we wouldn't say this, but our hearts are believing in God, you're not king, but rather the outcome of my situation is king. Like if we just stopped and inspected our lives and looked at some of our pain points or struggles that we all have in different ways and just asked who or what is king here, Is it Jesus or is it something else? I think we might be exposed to a lot. And the point of this is not condemnation or to heap on guilt. No, the point of this is for us to all remember that a good God that created the world, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave to be our king so we don't have to be. Maybe we could say it this way. Jesus died to be the king of our life, not our assistant. You know what? When a person grasps this, and hands over their life for Jesus to reign over their entire life, that's an incredible display of God's power. New City, Jesus, who died on the cross for the sins of the world, is sitting next to God with favor and power and privilege that nobody else has, and Jesus is there to be our king. And we need to ask ourselves, do our hearts and lives believe it? Do we truly see him as king in every area and in every detail of our life? Again, maybe we say Jesus is king, but is he the king of our time and schedule? Is he the king of our resources and money? Is he the king of our decision making and how we treat friends and family or coworkers? Y'all, he died and Jesus died and rose from the grave to be king over our entire life and not just parts of it. Like he didn't he didn't die to be king of our salvation and then a consultant for our finances that we call on when we need help. No, he's the king of it at all times. I mean, let's just stop and think. If we scanned over our entire day, week and year, all of our friends, our work, our hobbies, how we parent, how we serve and talk to others, all of it, what are the parts of our life that we have not yet handed over? Where is there a war for the reign of our hearts? And you know what some of the hardest things are for people to give over to Jesus, just to name a few? Finding forgiveness. Maybe someone has wronged you or hurt you. That's something we have to hand over oftentimes, not just once, but maybe sometimes a hundred times or 10,000 times. You know what else is extremely hard to hand over? What is often the last thing for people to surrender in their walk with Jesus? It's often our finances. Living out God's commands to give generously with our financial resources is often so hard for people because it involves real sacrifice. But church, our money is not our money. It's God's money that he has entrusted to us. And y'all, giving and tithing, it's a regular, tangible reminder that God is the king of our entire life. 
Regular and consistent giving to the local church is one of the greatest gifts and spiritual disciplines we can have as a follower of Jesus because it regularly and consistently reminds us that we are living for God's kingdom and not ours. You know what else is hard to hand over? The hidden things in our hearts. The things that we just don't want to tell people. A lack of confession is evidence that our life is not totally surrendered. I mean, we could keep going on and on about this. But the point is, we all need to ask, what parts of my life am I struggling to surrender to Jesus to allow him to be king over? Maybe it's that we struggle with time management or laziness or how we view relationships or our job or control, whatever it is. There is something that each and every one of us can grow in in this area. Like There's not a person in this room or out in this world that can't grow in ways to hand over the rule of our life. You know what is so freeing and empowering about this? The more we hand over the reign of our life to Jesus, the more his power is put on display. And so when we say, I'm not the one reigning over my life, but Jesus is in every area, our lives become an incredible breeding ground for the power of God to be put on display. Because God's power is displayed through our weakness and not our strength. And we say, our, say God's our king, we're saying we're weak, but he's strong. We're not the ruler, Jesus is. And when that happens, we can see the hand of God move and God's power is put on display. And the eyes of our hearts can see the goodness of God. We can see his resurrection power put on display in just our everyday life. So number one, Jesus' power is displayed through the resurrection. Number two, it's displayed when he reigns as king. But then, then Jesus is not just the ruler of our own personal life. Let's look at verse 21 to see our next point. Because Paul, he keeps going. Uh, after seeing Jesus seated in the heavenly places, Paul then says in verse 21, Far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So get this, this is remarkable, and it's so good for us. Paul just said he's not just over us who hand over our lives to him, but he's also over all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That's what it says. Not just in this age, in this life, but also in the life that is to come, in the future from now, in heaven. Showing us number three, Jesus' power over rulers and authorities. Do you know how incredibly, incredible confidence boosting, empowering this is for us, specifically those that call Jesus, do call Jesus king? But not just for us, but also just think back to Paul's day where they were dealing with emperor worship and, and Greek gods. I mean, this, this kind of just seems like playground smack talk from Paul. Kind of like, I, I know Caesar wants everyone to call him Lord, and I know everyone is all about Artemis, Greek god Artemis, but hey, Jesus is over all of them. Like, they've got nothing on Jesus. Because with what Paul just said, if we are in Christ and Jesus is the king of our life, Paul just said our king Jesus is over every person, every ruler, every authority, every power, and every dominion. And so what does that include? Well, it includes everything. Literally everything. Every person you know, Paul just said Jesus has power over their life. They just either know it or they don't. They either call Jesus Lord or they don't. Every government, every military, every boss you've ever had, Jesus is over them. He reigns over them. Every demon, every evil spirit, everything, they all fall down and bow at the name of Jesus. Our God and King, he is not a weak king. He does not have reign over some things and some things are out of his reign. No, Paul just said and showed us that literally all things under the sun are under his reign and rule. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God knowing that, yes, the battle is still going on, but the war has been won. He's already king over all of it. 
Because when Jesus went to the cross, died and rose from the grave, Jesus in that moment declared a reigning victory over all things. The cross declared Jesus reigns as king over everything, over all rulers, all authorities, every power and dominion. He rules over every name that has ever been named. Our God is not powerful over some things and powerless over others. No, he has power over all things. That's what Paul is saying. In church, right now, we are in this time in history living in this divine tension where we know God has declared victory over everything. He is reigning as king where we know that in the end Jesus wins, that in the end all sin and evil, it will totally be gone. Uh, it will happen. But right now, as we wait in the hardship of this life, living in the tension, we cry out, come soon, Lord Jesus. Come soon. You know, my eight-year-old son, he asked me often, Daddy, why doesn't Jesus just come back now? Like, God, why, why doesn't God just destroy Satan now? Eight years old. And every time I tell him the same thing, son, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why he hasn't come back, but he's coming. He's going to do it. That's what we pray for. I'm praying just like you. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come soon. And I don't know why we, I don't know why we wait for how long we'll wait, but I know this. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when the whole world hears of Jesus and his good news, then the end will come. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, it says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Church, Jesus wins. Jesus reigns. He's over all and in all. He will come back again. But what, what is he waiting on? He's waiting on the whole world to hear. He's waiting on people from all over the world to hear the name of Jesus. And so how do we usher in the kingdom of God? How do we labor to urgently bring Jesus back? We go to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus. We send people all over the world where the name of Jesus has never been named. Y'all, this is why our church exists. We live longing for the new city that is to come, praying, come soon, Lord Jesus. And we labor and we take the gospel all over the world so that it will happen. Jesus reigns over all things, but the whole world, they just don't know it yet. There are people all over our city and all over our world that absolutely will respond to worship to King Jesus because he does not, because he does reign and he will reign forever. But the question is, again, the question is, do they know it and do they believe it? And so this is our task. This is our mission. This is what he's commissioned us with. This is why we're asking and praying that each of us would have at least one person in our life that we're actively praying for and actively sharing with to come to faith and so let's just simply ask who is your one who's your one person you're praying for to know Jesus as king you know we're praying for to see 25 people go through the waters of baptism this year declaring Jesus as king and the only way that it happens is if we each tell people about Jesus and you know what when they respond in faith that's a display of God's power at work and what is so good for each of us this, this is not something we do alone. This is not a lone ranger mission. No, this is a collective mission that God has given a group of people called the church. And guess what? Even the church's mission and purpose falls under the reign of Jesus. Look what Paul says to end the chapter. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is over all things. All things are under Jesus, which also includes us collectively. It includes the church. And so when we look at our church, specifically New City Church, 
we very intentionally say Jesus is the ruler of our church. We are a Jesus-ruled church. I'm, I'm, y'all, I'm totally fine with saying our church is built on a person and a personality as long as that person is Jesus. As soon as me or other pastors and elders and all of our leaders and church members stop submitting to Jesus as our ruler, we are in a heap of trouble. Which leads us to number four, Jesus' power over the church. And for us as a local body of believers, this truth that Jesus is over us, it's so incredibly comforting. It's a display of God's power because guess what? Jesus knows exactly what we as a local church need. And he also knows what we don't need. Jesus knows the people that will come and the people that won't. Jesus knows what our souls need. He knows what we need to sing and preach and what we need to pray for. He knows the groups and the leaders and the discipleship that we need. He knows the resources we need. He knows all of it. And guess what? He gives us exactly what we need and exactly what we don't need. And this is so encouraging and comforting for us individually, but even more so us collectively as a community because you know what God does for us to meet those needs? He uses us, each other, to meet those needs. Verse 23, Paul says that we, the church, are his body and he is the head. Jesus sees it all. He knows it all. He's the head of the church. He's got the eyes. Like Jesus has the eyes, the nose, the ears, the mouth, the brain, all of it. That's the head. But us were the hands, the feet, the belly button, the legs, the arms, all of it. Which also means some of you are like the armpits. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) But this is the point we each have. Like we each have a different part to play. Sometimes I crack myself up and it's not funny. As the body, we each have a part to play as the body of Christ. Look at verse 22 and 23 again. Paul said about Jesus that God gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh, this is remarkable. The one who is king over everything, literally everything, he said to us who believe in Jesus, which is us, the church, he has declared that we are a part of him. He's, he's the head We're the body. He fills us by his spirit. And then it says, we the church are the fullness of him. So as God fills us by his spirit, he then also is building his body, which then fills the earth, which means you, Christian, and also including myself, we are the extension of Jesus to the world. And so when we go into a place because God is in us, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and we are his body, we are then bringing God to that place. So when we walk into our classroom or on campus because the Holy Spirit is in you, you are bringing God into that place. When you go into a, to our neighborhood or work or to the ball field, we are bringing God to that place. No, we are not God, but God is in us. We are God's temple, his house, his body, as our text says. And so because we are his body, we are bringing God to the world. This is what the church does. We gather here on Sundays as an expression of that, uh, as an expression that shows the power of God. We preach it, we sing it, we gather, we encourage, we serve, we pray, and then we take that power out into the world. And the question is, how are we representing Jesus to the world? Jesus is in us, but we need to ask, how is the world seeing it? And how do we better show Jesus to the world? We day in and we day out. We just let Jesus be king over our entire life. And there's so many more things we could say about Jesus being over the church. But as we close out our time, I want to try to bring all these, kind of, all these truths together 
And just think about how seeing the greatness of Jesus, seeing how Jesus is over all things, that our eye, the, heart, the eyes of our hearts knowing it in a deep and intimate way, how it affects us. Because as I said at the beginning, for me personally, our main idea that Jesus is over all things is one of the single greatest truths that I hold on to in times of chaos and hardship. Like there is no doubt the things we go through, the challenges that we face, God takes those hardships, he leads us to worship through them, he brings us to a place of dependence, and then in his time, timing, he brings us through them. And then he takes those things and he uses them to build up the church around us that then go through the same thing. New City, if God is over all things and in all things and reigning as king over the church, then we can have so much hope that nothing we go through is wasted. Y'all, God doesn't send us through things and then say, oh, well, well, that was wasted. I messed up there. No, not at all. Nothing under the hand of God is wasted. And what does God call us to in the highs and lows of life? He, just, he says, just come to me. Look to me. See my grandness. See my vastness and power and worship the Lord. And you know what happens when the eyes of our hearts truly see the grandness of God, everything around us just becomes so small. You know what else happens when the eyes of our hearts see what Paul is praying for? All of a sudden we say, when we see the beauty and the vastness and the glory of Jesus in a real and intimate way, when our hearts see it, all of a, so, all of a sudden we can easily say, Jesus, take my life, all of it, every bit of it. Like, just take it all. Y'all, if you're, if you're here today and you have never said, Jesus, take my life. Like if you've never said, I want you to reign as King Jesus. I want to call you today to just give him your life. To hand Jesus the keys of your life. And for everyone else, may the eyes of our hearts just simply see the beauty of Jesus. May we just lift up our eyes just to see Jesus. Oh, he, he died to be the king of our hearts. He wants it all. And will we give it to him yet again today? Pray that you would. Let's pray. God, it is so comforting to know that you are good. You're a good God that loves us, that cares for us. That sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He rose from the dead. That you're good. You, you, you have our best in mind at all times. And yet you're also sovereign over all things. God, you hold all the power in your hands. You hold the whole world. You hold our very life in your hands. And so because of that, Jesus, we can find so much hope. We ask that if there's anyone in here that just is, just we pray that they would give their life to Jesus if they have not yet done that, to find the hope that is in Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.